Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There he you know is, me? man. Yeah, you got a pro setup as well. You got a proper Come mic. Come on, dude. Sorry, it took me a while to let you in. I've been trying to figure out my lighting situation, and this is the best that I could muster. So here we are, dude. It looks killer, Matt. Yeah. How are you? Does this look good for you? Uh, you look amazing. The light looks perfect. Obviously, your your peak daytime in Los Angeles, California. Well, yeah. not Los Angeles. Where are you? You're down. Are you Carlsbad? Are you telling me that's where you are? Dude, I'm right near Carlsbad. I'm in Oceanside. That was it. Yeah, because yeah, I was going to yeah, try I'm and like... see you when I was out there, but it was just that bit too far for a man without a car. Yeah. Oh, dude, especially in Southern California. I mean, you don't got a car, dude. You might as well not come. Like, there's no, like, there's no, <laughs> there's no taking the bus. Oh, hey, dude, I'm going to come visit you. I'll take public transportation. We don't have that. No, no, we're well, have... certainly not West Side. Yeah, I mean, if I mean, and, and and even when my kids come to visit me, like my son will come down from L.A. and it's just like, dude, I'll I'll send a lift for you. I'm not sitting in traffic. It's not gonna happen. You know? <laughs> well, mate, I'm I'm really pleased we're finally here, about to do this. You know, long-awaited podcast. There's been rumors of this for, I want to say, a year and a half. It's oh been my it's, god, longer it's... than that. It's been <laughs> since we were on the cruise. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, that's coming up on on three years. That is. Oh my God. Maybe dude. even four. Yeah. Well, here yeah. we are. I mean, it was pre pandemic <laughs> when we did that. 
It was. I was thinking the other day about the first time I met you, and I don't remember if you remember the exact moment that we met, but I remember it really clearly. I didn't know who you were. We were in the production office waiting for accreditation, um, and you had on this T-shirt that had, I think it was Will Smith doing a grind, and it was like yeah. a sm Smith grind T-shirt, and we were, we were chatting away, and I just remember being really enamored with your energy and your, and your charisma and your personality. As the weekend unfolded, it became apparent to me who you were. But in that moment, I just thought this is just a friendly, rad dude. And I took a photo of you. Uh, I don't know if you remember that, but I asked if I could just take a photo of you because I had my camera with me. And I, I found that photo the other day. And it's, uh, I'll, I'll send it to you and I'll, I'll share it when I share this episode. But yeah, it was a really cool initial meeting and it was just obvious to me from the outset not only are you a great dude but there's this and I'm, i mean this as a huge compliment there's this childlike energy and enthusiasm for life that you still possess despite being a man i want to say on your way to being 50 oh dude i saw 50 ages ago there bro. you go yeah no man i'm mid five o's yeah. Mid five O's, but dude, I'm, dude, I'm never staring at six O, bro. I'm staring, dude. You know, um, I would say, I mean, well, thank you for the the compliment because you know, uh, I think sometimes though people can take my positivity in a negative way because they're like, is that real? Like, is he really that excited all the time? Is he that positive? And I think you know the world we're living in right now, it can come off sometimes as maybe artificial or you know chemical, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, I've never done any drugs in my entire life. And I remember just my energy that, that energy that you're describing, um, with, with, you know, when, when we first met on the cruise and uh, I was looking at my phone because, uh, that, that hoodie that you're talking about is it's done by my bro that runs, uh, well, he has, they have two companies. They have a shoe company called Savali. That's super, super cool. And then, um, it's everybody skates and, uh, you got to check out everybody skates. They just do, they, they did the Will Smith, uh, or they did the, I'm sorry. It was the, um, it's, uh, it was Morrissey. It wasn't Will go. Smith. It was Morrissey yeah, yeah. and it says Smith grind and he's doing <laughs> a, a Smith grind right there. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that and especially, you know, coming from a part of the world where we look on enthusiasm and friendliness with certain cynicism here in the UK, um, and a lot of British people aren't down with that kind of energy. I'm unique in that sense. I've always been drawn towards positive, enthusiastic people. That's very much who I am as well. And I'm very aware that it can grate on people. Um, and I don't know why that is. It's cultural differences to some extent. But I also think there's this lack of uh, a willingness in some people to you know, be that way themselves. So when they see it in others, it almost like reminds them of what they're not. So they're like, Oh, just shut up. Stop being yeah, so happy. Well, I mean, I think, you know, you always have to, I mean, it's funny that you, it's funny you say that because a lot of times if you get irritated with someone or someone's just rubbing you the wrong way, um, you kind of have to look at yourself and go, Oh, wow. Is, is what they're doing rubbing me the wrong way? Cause what they're doing isn't cool or it's lame or it's intrusive on other people, or is it something I lack and they've mastered it? You know, uh, sometimes, you know, even when I was, a, when I, when my kids were young, I would see these younger fathers and they would, they were so just down on their hands and knees and, and putting the Legos together and having like, and like, I'm, I was good at that 
for, you know, in a, a moment, you know, like I was like, oh, okay, well, I can put in this amount of time and I'd get down and I'd hang with my kids and we, you know, my son and I would do the Legos or my daughter, she used to do these uh, little doll houses and she'd be like, dad, play. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I would drop into it and then I'd be good. Like, you know, I'd put it in an hour. I'm like, okay. And then I, there's other dads though. They would just rock like, just like their whole day. And it would irritate me. I'm like, dude, don't you have other things to do? But then I realized, ah, oh, man, you're just, it was just me being, being jealous or, or, you know, just not being able to uh, be that guy that could get down on his hands and knees. And, and I remember in particularly the one time I remember, and it really hit home with me was we were all at the beach and uh, you know, I was there and my kids were there and there was waves. So I'm like, I'm going to surf. And I remember this other dad, he just, you know, he didn't surf. He didn't, he wasn't, he wasn't doing anything except just walking around and, and just playing with his kids. And and, and it was cool, but it, it was like all day. And I just was tripping on it. I was like, wow. Like, like, aren't you going to do anything? Like, aren't you going to do anything? Other than dad. <laughs> yeah. Other than dad. And I, and, you know, and that, and that might be, that might just be kind of the way I was raised. Like my parents, you know, definitely never made their life so much about me that I overshadowed what they were doing. They were definitely the front men in the band. Like my mom and dad were like, <clears throat> you know, they were like, you know, whether it's, you know, you know, uh, strummer and Mick Jagger or whoever, it was like, they were the front people in the band. And my sister and I definitely knew our places like, Hey, we're the bass player and drummer maybe you know once in a while we can move up to guitar player but like we're we're you know we're there and i and i feel i feel like sometimes what kind of happens uh at least with what i noticed with parenting back then was and, and it still is today there was just so much emphasis just like it's all about the kid you know 24 7 which is cool but then you know you kind of lose yourself within your children and and i get it because all of us came from divorced families so all we're trying to do is play the baseball that our dad never played with us, you know, go on, go to the beach and just spend the whole time with our kid. Not like our parents did. At least like my parents were from the generation. Like we go to the beach, we're going to drink beers and smoke cigarettes and you guys go entertain yourself. And, and I think, you know, but I think though that sometimes like, like we said, when you see someone with like a, a, uh, I don't know, maybe too much, too much positivity or even people that, you know, are, are, are just doing different things. You can, you can kind of ask yourself, Am I irritated with them or am I just irritated at myself that I don't have that, you know, like I don't have that going on and I don't know. Sometimes Is it I, triggering something within them? Totally. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I, totally... I, I can't really relate to what you're talking about because I'm not a parent, um, but I do definitely see the difference between, as you say, people, and this can be with, I think partners as well as parenthood, they give everything that they've got to this one thing. And then it's like when the kid grows up or, you know, maybe the partner leaves them, God forbid, or, or, or there comes a time when, you know, they no longer have this thing to focus all their energy on. Then they're like, fuck, who am I? What have I got yeah. left? I always, I always used to joke around that, like having kids and it's funny now, cause my kids are like 21 or 22 and 19, you know, like my son just spent the weekend with me, you know, he came down here with his buddy. It was, it's great. You know, it's like, they're at that age where they're doing their things. You know, they drove down here, they had a blast and it was just great having them hang around. Um, because it's a different energy now, you know, it's mm. it. And, but what I used to joke around, I used to say raising kids is kind of like in the music industry, like signing bands. 
Because like when you first sign the band, they're so stoked to work with you. They're like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And like your kids are like that. Like, oh my God, dad, you're so rad. But as the kids and bands gain more success and more confidence and and more, and they do the work and, and they're on their own, it, you know, the, the label starts to be a little like, ah, it's, it's cool, bro. You know, like I'll catch up with you a little bit. And then sooner or later they bail. And then you're left there just going, all right, what's now, what do I do? You know? So um, and you know, it, it's, it's, it's definitely a journey, but being now on the other side of being a parent and, and, um, and having that, uh, having that opportunity to, you know, have my kids as adults, it's, it's, it's such a new chapter in our relationship. And I love it. You know, I loved when they were little, you know, that was cool, but I, I really dig having them as adults. Cause you know, like my son's really into music and, you know, he's, making beats and selling them to people and, you know, kind of rolling in this world that, that, you know, is, is new to him and different to me, but it's similar to both of us. So it's cool to like work with him and, and, you know, talk to him about like what he's doing in that. And then my daughter's super into film and uh, directing and she does directs videos and, you know, puts out so much, you know, different content. And, um, and a lot of her, a lot, a lot, I always tell her she's doing a good job because some of the stuff she puts out just bums me out so bad. I'm like, oh my God, does, does everyone have to be partially naked? Like, what are we doing? And, and then I realized, <laughs> I realized that's what my dad used to say to me when I would play him like TSOL code blue or, you know, black flag, he'd be like, oh my God. And he, you know, and then he would like, and he was the one that brought it up to me. He's like, Joe, that's the passing of the torch that if your kids are creating art that pisses you off then they've done, you've done a good job and they're, they're doing a good job. So I, I'm into it. I love it, dude. Well, listen, there's, there's so much that I want to try and cover at least if not completely. <laughs> and I'm going to cough a lot during this interview as well, mate, because I've got myself one of those English colds right now. So if I sound nasal, that's also why. Um, but for me, what fascinates me and always has about you and, and knowing your background to some extent is like me, you know, you've done much more than me, but in a similar approach, you, you're a man that wears many hats uh, and you're constantly reinventing and, you know, you, you've done so many different things and continue at this stage in your life to, to push, you know, the creative envelope forward and explore new avenues and, you know, whether that was the Metallica tour you recently did that i definitely want to talk to you about in a, in a little while but um were your parents encouraging towards you with your creative outlets from a young age or did you you know through punk rock and skateboarding just get that taste for diy i can make this happen myself approach like where did the kind of interest and enthusiasm for art and outside culture and creativity begin to distill within yourself and then when did you start you know, pushing forward with the first thing, which I guess would have been music. I mean, for me, I was, I was super lucky in the sense that both my parents, my, you know, they were, my dad was a, he was a teacher and uh, you know, later on went into like administration, but like in the, you know, he was started out as an English teacher in college. So he was, he was always, you know, they were, they were into the arts. You know, my dad was the Dean of arts and sciences at Santa Clara university. So he was very involved with the arts and my mom, even though she didn't work in that field, you know, she was a musician, you know, she um, studied uh, theater. So 
the art and music combo and being really open-minded to a lot of different uh, people's opinions and a lot of different people in, in my life was always around me at a young age. You know, I, I you know, I grew up in the, you know, through, throughout the seventies and obviously through the eighties. So like there was a, there was definitely a time with my parents where they were like right in the middle of that whole, um, that culture and living in Northern California. Uh, we lived in Santa Cruz, California, a small surf beach town, and we lived in the redwoods. So we were out in the wilderness and my parents had this like ranch where there was horses and people would come out on the weekends. And there was always a lot of, uh, get togethers that would result in music being played and people hanging out. So at a young age, I was always around so many different people and, always kind of around like that atmosphere of uh, I wouldn't say like a show, but it was definitely an atmosphere of like a party, but not in the sense of like people like intoxicated falling down, but just, just an energy of like, there's music, maybe someone's going to play guitar. Okay. Then we're going to, you know, we're going to have some food and then we're going to play some more music. And, and as a young kid, I was just around that all the time. And I really loved the idea of just people kind of coming in and coming out. And, and there was always people at our house, you know, as a, as a young kid growing up, there was always people on the weekends staying there. And, and I really love that, you know, so it was a lot like what it is, you know, when you're on tour or when you're in a band, you know, there's, there's that, that, that feeling of like, there's the show tonight. And then there's the prep for the show. And, and I always have kind of, I've always kind of liked that. I, you know, like one of my favorite times, you know, with shows or being on the road is I always like the, you know, the hour before doors, where you can feel the energy in the room of, you know, everyone getting ready, whether some of them doing a sound check or, you know, with like stand up comedy, it's, you know, like they're, they're, they're getting the room ready to bring in the people and, you know, the staff's there and you can hear them all talking and there's the, they're their own little community because they all work together. And then all of a sudden I'm kind of in their community for that night. And you're like, what's up? And you're hanging out and you're meeting different people. Oh, cool. What's up? Oh, I remember last time I was here, how you been, you know? And then, you know, it's like, okay, cool doors. And I just, you know, I, it reminds me a lot of growing up, but my parents were so supportive in the sense that, you know, I never, I never, they never pushed me in one direction or another, but they definitely, they definitely encouraged me to always do what I wanted to do and to really like follow whatever it was that was drawing me. Uh, it was like, if there was something pulling me when I was younger, you know, I was really into magic when I was younger. So like, I, I really like did magic, you know, like when I was a little teeny kid, I was so into magic and I, I, you know, I, I was into it and then I wanted to do shows and I wanted to like do bigger shows. And then when that kind of, you know, ended, I, I, I got into skateboarding and like, I was really into skateboarding and my dad was super, you know, like, okay, cool. Like I'd show him skateboarder magazine and I'd be like, Hey, you know, people are riding these, you know, inclines. And there was like, I remember near our house in Santa Cruz, there was this church that kind of had some steep driveways. And at the time it looked a lot like what they were putting in, um, in, a in skateboarder magazine and stuff like that. And I said to my dad, I want to go skateboard there. And we drove up and, you know, obviously this huge church, it was, it was locked in and there was a fence. And, um, I remember I'm like, ah, oh, man, we drive up and, and my dad's like, okay, cool. Like go in there. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I was probably like fifth grade, you know, 10 years old. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, the gate's locked. And he's like, so, and I'm like, well, you know, I want to escape, but he's like, yeah, climb over. And I'm like, what? 
you know, I'm a 10-year-old kid. My dad's just sitting in his car. He's like, climb over the fence. And I'm like, climb over the fence? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, but dad, he goes, and just, you know, just skateboard. And, you know, if, any, if anyone comes out, just tell them you didn't know. Just like, just, oh, I didn't know. I can't be back here. And that theory of, I didn't know, oh, I'm sorry, just being cool to someone like, oh man, like, oh, I'm not supposed to be back here. Dude, I've used that theory for like my whole entire life. Like so many bands I love from the Ramones to, to uh, you know, uh, to the adolescents, to all the bands I love. That was totally my MO. Like, oh, I'm not supposed to be back here. Oh, hey, what's up? You know, and, like I just used that. So like, and that was all because my dad always used to say to me, you know, hey man, just act like you're supposed to be back there. And if anyone has a problem with it, just be cool to them and say, oh, hey, sorry. You know, so they were definitely. <laughs> sorry. Oh, it's contagious what? across the zoo. <laughs> oh, my God. We got to wear our masks. Um, they, I hear you. I so... hear you on that, Joe. I'm very much of the opinion in a similar sense. If you don't ask, you don't get and a little yeah. bit, of, a little bit of cheekiness, as long as it's respectful, goes a long way. Well, you know, it's like, you know, I always felt like. There's in, especially in the world that you and I live in and, and for anybody, you know, anyone that's watching this right now, they're, they're, whether it's a job, whether it's, you know, trying to date someone or something, you got to be able to have that ability to, to ask, but you also got to have that, that, that pickup of like, Hey, you know what? They're not feeling it. I gotta, you know, I gotta, I gotta be cool. And then, and then dude, there's plenty of people in my life that at this moment in time, whether it's a club owner, whether it's a booker, whether whoever that, you know, I'll be like, Hey, you know, I really like to do this. And if there's a possibility and there's some people like, Hey man, okay, let's do it. And then there's some people that are just not feeling it. And as I've gotten older, I've just realized like, I just spend less time. And like, I always, you know, when I'm re like, I always like to, I told my son this the other day, it's like, I always use the line, like anyone that's ever worked with me, whether it's a band or whatever, I've always used the line like, Hey, I think it'd be really cool if you did this. And these are the reasons why I think it's a good idea. But hey, if you're not feeling it, just let me know. No feelings hurt. And whenever I'd say that to people, they knew like, okay, then let me listen to what you're talking about. And I, I still do that all the time. Like, hey, man, I'd love to do this. And, and if you're down, awesome. But if you're not, totally get it. No feelings hurt. And I think when you give people that out, you at least get a response because, you know, nowadays it's like getting someone to email you back or even, you know, answer a text is, it's just, it's getting harder and harder. You know, there's just so many people are inundated with so much stuff coming in. So when your parents break up, does that affect you hard or is it a fairly amicable? Cause you're talking about everything at the moment, which seems like an idyllic childhood really, and everything's positive and it's sending you on, you know, a positive course in life. Um, how old are you when they split and, and does that affect you in any you know, negative way, um, or is it kind of just a product? Yeah, of I mean, I, I was, I was fortunate in the way that, you know, my parents divorce, um, you know, you hear stories of, you know, crazy, heavy, gnarly divorces. And I would say like 10 being, oh my gosh, that's the most heaviest story I've ever heard. And one being like, Hey, we're all still going to spell celebrate Christmas together. And oh, cool. Here's your new stepmom. Like they weren't, they weren't a one, but they definitely weren't a 10. They were, you know, they were right. You know, they, they did the best they could. You know, I don't really, it, it's weird. Um, I, not weird, but it didn't really, it never really affected me because I still spent so much time. I mean, it, I'm sure it affected me in one way or the other, but as far as like, was it a, you know, like for some people it's a, it's definitely a, it's definitely a um, heavy, heavy moment. And for me, you know, my dad was so much a part of my life and my mom was so much a part of my life. And even after the divorce, my dad, you know, never missed a weekend, picked me up every weekend. You know, it, it was just, and honestly, I was probably stoked because it was like, 
My mom lived in Santa Cruz. My dad lived in San Jose. When I went to dad's house, he had MTV. When I went to mom's house, she was by the beach. So it was like, I, I kind of, you know, it was cool. And you get a break from each parent, you know, like, okay, my mom's over me for, you know, a little while I'll go to dad's and I hang out with dad and then he brings me back. And, you know, I, I think I, you know, I, I probably might've pushed down what, you know, if there was anything that was going through, but my parents did, I think a really good job of like making sure for me, like I never went through any time thinking, Oh God, the divorce is because of me. They made it clear. Like, Hey, it's your mom and I, this has nothing to do with you. You know? And I was like, okay, cool. So they were really good that way. Nice man. Yeah. It sounds like you got the best of a, of a bad situation. And then how old are you when you head down to Hollywood in such of fame and fortune yeah. and fun and all the rest of it? <laughs> Um, well, you know, the way I got down to Hollywood was a trip because, you know, I had been in bands forever in Northern California and it was just kind of one of those things where I had to make the move at a certain point and no one was really doing it. I was only, I was 23 and it was kind of looked upon as like, why would you, why would you leave your hometown of San Jose to go to LA? And, um, I remember the band I was in fell apart. I was seeing a girl that fell apart. It felt like everything that I was doing up there, it kind of come to an end. And I really didn't have any other anywhere to really turn to. Like I'd already, you know, I'd been in my band and I, you know, school was done. I was just like, I remember just being in a place where I was like, what am I going to do now? And a buddy of mine, uh, Brian, uh, Brian Ray, Turcott. He's actually the guy that uh is the curator for one of the curators for the punk rock museum. And um him is and he I the guy that's like a flyer artist. He's a guy, he's a guy that he has he has the beard and he wears like a hat. And um, he's just like super artistic guy. Like he's the one that does all the flyer art for the those books. Yeah. He did like uh punk rock, uh copied, uh photocopy and fucked up. That was the first book he did. And he's just he's been a collector since we were kids, you know, like he always, <clears throat> even when we were growing up, he, he always had collections of stuff. You know, he's like, he's that guy. And, um, he, at that time, him and I were friends and, you know, um, and we still are. And at that time in my life, he had already moved to LA and it was one of those things where I'm like talking to him on the phone one day and he's like, what are you doing in San Jose anymore? Get down to LA. Like you need to be down here. I'm like, yeah, but I don't know. And you know, all the reasons why he's like, dude, you can stay on my couch for one month. If you can't figure it out after that, you're on your own, but you get one month on my couch. And I was like, I remember I was like, what else, you know, what else do I got? What do I got to lose? And I remember I left to go down there and, you know, a lot of my friends at the time were like, you'll be back, you know? And I was like, I just didn't know. And I came down and I remember at one point, uh, I wanted, I had been down there for about two months and I just really wasn't figuring it out. And I remember I called my mom and I was like, yeah, you know, it's, it's just not happening. I, I, I can't find a, I, it was, I'd been down there about, I think about a month and I, I hadn't found a job and I was just like, man, this is not going in the direction I thought it would go. And I just, you know, I wanted to play music and the music, I just didn't know who to hook up with. And I was talking about going home and uh, I said, yeah, you know, I was talking on the phone. I said, yeah, I think I'm going to bail. I think I'm going to go home. And she said, uh, really? Well, you can do that if you want, but I think you're really going to regret it. Um, I said, why? There's that encouragement again. That's awesome. Yeah. She said, you can always come home, Joey. Like if you want to come home, it, I'm, that's cool. But I really, really think if you don't give this a full run and a full shot, you're going to regret it. And it's one of those kind of regrets you regret for the rest of your life. And I remember that really hit home with me. 
And that night I decided, you know what, I'm staying and I'm going to try to figure this out. And I just really, really started, okay, what's the first thing I need? I need to find a place to work. I need to find a place to live. Okay. Get those things handled. Then I can start figuring out if I can, you know, who I can jam with, how I can meet people. And that was really the process. But if it wasn't for my mom saying, basically suck it up and stay there, you, you know, you can always come home if you want. I, I, I wouldn't have stayed. And she really pushed me to do that. And then everything in my life changed. If I, if she wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't be doing this zoom with you right now. I wouldn't have had the last 30 years. None of that stuff would have happened. Isn't life the trip of all trips when you break it down like that, how the littlest choice at these junctures in our lives, especially when you're that age, you know, from say 15 to 25, like when, you know, the whole world is your oyster and everything's possible these tiny little life choices you make just in terms of where you end up living, the social circle you're in, like all these things, they affect the entire course of your life, don't they? It's incredible Absolutely. when you look back. Absolutely. And, and it never turns out the way you think it's going to turn out. You know, that's something I've learned so much and so frequently that, that you think one thing's going to happen, you put all your effort into it, and, and it, never, it never goes down that way. It's generally, it goes down a different way. And a lot of times there's suffering that you can't understand why, why is this happening to me? Uh, why, why did this happen? And then a lot for me personally, I can look back on different moments in my life. And if those things at the time that were so tragic to me and so catastrophic, like I cannot believe this is happening to me. If those moments hadn't happened to me, it wouldn't have pivoted me into the direction that I ultimately went on, whether it was getting kicked out of my first band, whether it was, you know, wax getting dropped from, uh, Virgin records, uh, all of those moments, you know, uh, that none of those things would have happened if, if those bad moments wouldn't have, of the good things wouldn't have happened if the bad things didn't. And I, and, and I'm just, even at this point in my life, I still realize that. I've been thinking a lot recently because this year marks 10 years since I was let go from Kerrang Radio, which is my first job in this industry. Uh, and I haven't had another job in the industry in that decade period. You know, I've done work, obviously, yeah. and I'm, I'm still here doing it, but I haven't had a full-time paid position in, in a company since then. And at the time, losing that gig crushed my spirit, my heart, my soul, everything. And I thought it was game over. There's no coming back from this. And it took me time. It took me a long time. But as you say, these moments that are absolute like tragedy at the time, I think are there to pave the way for what's next. I genuinely believe that. I genuinely believe everything happens for a reason. Do you, Joe? Yeah, I really do. I feel that, you know, when you're younger, <clears throat> at least, <clears throat> sorry about that. When you're younger, I feel that, you just want everything, at least for me, I wanted everything right away. And, and obviously you put in the work and then you're disappointed when you go, wait a minute, I put in the work and, and now it's not going to happen. Like your example, you know, you, you worked at Kerrang radio, you were, you were on it, you were doing everything. And all of a sudden they let you go. And then you're trying to find your footing again on what you're going to do after that for me, you know, and, and if you, and if you wouldn't have been, you know, if you wouldn't have get let go from Kerrang, then you know, we wouldn't probably be doing this right now. And a lot of great things in your life and a lot of friendships that you've made and everything you've done probably wouldn't have happened. And I'm sure that you can go through like as much as, you, like you said, I haven't had a, a job in the quote unquote industry, but you're in the industry now doing what you want to do all the time. 
And you wouldn't be doing that if you were still at Kerrang. Whereas I feel like that, like you said, everything does happen for a reason. And I always feel that as much as a lot of times those reasons we just don't want to accept, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's your, you know, for me, it, it was, you know, like I remember when my band got dropped from Virgin Records, I was, I was devastated. I, I couldn't even believe it. Like what, like what, why would they, why would this happen? And, and what, and how, you know, how much it just hurt. And, and I, it really made me um, question me as question myself as a musician and question just everything in my life at that moment. And I, and I was letting these other people, you know, get in my head. And then ultimately I just kind of had to, you know, suck it up and go, all right, what am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this situation and go back to square one? Okay. You know, we've got the band, we've got this record. Okay. What do we need to do? We can play live. No one can stop us from doing that. We can figure out a way to release the record and just started making those small baby steps. And then before I knew it, you know, two years later, we were making a video with Spike Jones and we were on Interscope Records and we were on MTV and it was, it was just like, oh my gosh. Whereas two years before I would have never have thought that was going to happen. I thought we were, I thought we were dead in the water. I thought it was over. So once again, I, I can't stress enough to people that, you know, whatever you're going through, it, it's my mom used to say that to me all the time. She's Joey, everything's temporary. Everything's temporary. And, and that means the good times as well as the bad times. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, when things are good, you know, you think it's going to last forever and you got to know in the back of your mind, Hey man, I'm having a moment right now. This is super cool. But at a certain point that's going to change. And even when the bad times happen, you have to just sit in it and go, okay, this, this obviously isn't what I want, but it's not going to last forever. And, th- and there is something on the horizon and there is a better day around the corner, but it's just getting yourself to make the motions to, and sometimes it's just so hard to even get out of bed when you're feeling like that, you know? And, and I think, I think that's the thing that, that if you take those two steps, then all of a sudden a year goes by and you go, wow, now look at where I am. Yeah. Just keep going. Just keep going. And it's, it's wild to me. You go from being a front man to a label boss to a, you know, stand up and, and just the evolution of that is so impressive. Um, and with wax, you're talking about the first band that are kind of really doing stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're the first band, right. To, to, to link up with Spike Jones. He's obviously on the scene. We were, yeah, we were the first, we, we did the first, uh, Spike's first video was with us. We did a video in Chicago. It was the, it was a smaller video when we were on Caroline and, uh, we did that video with him and that was, that was the first like music video he did. And then when we got let go that's where he really started popping off and he was doing everything from like, you know, Weezer to uh, Beastie Boys to all that. And then when we got re-signed, Spike had always said to me, he's like, Hey man, you know, if you guys can get up and running I'll do a video for you. So I was like, that was something I used when we were talking to labels. I'm like, yeah, Spike Jones will do our next video. And they're like, what are you talking about? How do you even know him? I'm like, trust me, he'll do our next, he'll do our video for you guys. And at that point he was like on fire. It was, yeah, it'd be like it'd be like telling people right now, like, yeah, dude, Jay Z's gonna produce my comedy album. What? Yeah, like it was like no one believed us that he would actually do it. So when we got re-signed to Interscope, he he's like, yeah, let's do it. We made that guy on fire video, and that just pushed us over the top. A man of his words, and and I guess was absolutely skate- was skateboarding. What brought you together in the first place? 
You know what I think brought us together was our bass player lived with Spike for a little while. And then we used to all hang out together. We were just in Hollywood at that time. It was like, it was a, it was a cool time in Hollywood. Like you didn't know it was a cool time in Hollywood, but like, you know, who you were hanging out with was Johnny Knoxville, Spike, uh, at that point, you know, obviously all the guys in wax, um, there was some of the other dudes that went on to do jackass that were just hanging around at that point. I mean, obviously Knoxville, he was, you know, it was like, it was standard that, you know, we, we have a show at night and then after the show, the wax show, everyone would come back to my apartment or come back to the other dudes in wax. We'd have a raging party. And at the party at the time, we're all the people that were on their way to have this massive success. You know, you had, you had Johnny Knoxville always hanging out, you know, and at that point he was like, going to be an actor and then you had these guys from new york that were all like dreaded out and it was like oh cool man uh you know that's white zombie oh, okay come on in and then you had these other guys that were like you know hanging out in the corner that were so afraid to like even talk to anybody and they look fully nerdy and you're like what's what's up man and, hey man my name's rivers oh cool dude that's the dudes from weezer you know it's just like all of these people at that time were all in this little two mile radius in hollywood and we were all hanging out and we were all doing shows together you know uh like i said brian ray who went on to do punk rock museum and all this all the uh all the other stuff that he's done you know he was in a band called black market flowers uh steve soda was in a band from the adolescence was in a band called joyride so him and i hung out you know that's where i really got i mean i was friends with him when he was in the adolescence and that's how i met him as a kid but back then we were doing shows together and i think at that time you just have all of these it, it's crazy to think, you know, whether it's Rob Zombie, Spike Jones, the guys in uh, Weezer, uh, you had the guys in Wax, all of us just hanging out. And then everyone went on to do all these amazing things. And it, and it's crazy to think we all lived, you know, in these two apartment buildings that were like next door to each other. And no one at the time thought anyone was cooler than the other person. It was just all of us lived in Hollywood and we all came from different places. My guys came from Chicago. The zombie guys came from New York. Uh, and then I forgot where spike was from, but you know, everyone was just spikes there. from New York, right? I'm not sure. I want for some reason, I always thought he was like Midwest guy, but, um, well, that's uh, wild though, man. What a life, what a time. Yeah. And everyone's just hanging out, but no, at that time, it's not, you know, you're not sitting at the party going, Oh my God, that's rivers Como. You're just like, dude, you, you know, that's the guy that, you know, has one leg shorter than the other like you know like because <laughs> he, he hadn't had the surgery yet <clears throat> you know and like you're like wow check him out and then you know you had the guys in white zombie and they seem super serious and you're like okay cool you know and it are you was playing just, each other records or are you just hanging out and chatting and it's all very social as opposed to like you know you're exchanging art and ideas and feedback and all of that i think everyone it, it feels like looking back on it everyone was like it felt like, you know, like when you're at an airport and you run into people and some people are going somewhere, someone's going this way, but there's that moment in time, you know, where everyone's just at the airport bar hanging out, but everyone's waiting for that flight. Or in the, in our case, everyone was working for that flight to get out of there, you know, to go on. Like everyone, you know, wanted to be the biggest band in the world, but like we weren't telling each other that, but we definitely on our own each each group felt you know i i know you know i know that we all shared the dream of making it you know that that's why we all moved there yeah and i think now like just even saying that word making it people have to understand this is in a time where 
the uh, the the opportunities that are now there for all of us, whether it's hey, I'm going to release my own record and I'm going to put it on Spotify, SoundCloud. I'm going to put my video on YouTube. I'm going to start my you know Facebook page. I'm going to start my Instagram page. I'm going to do. Well, it's all pre-internet, isn't TikTok. it? TikTok. Yeah. None now, of that. Yeah. Now you can. You know, you have so many different ways to get your art out to people. Whereas when we were there, when at that point you couldn't. You couldn't get your art out. And the only way that we knew how to do it was come to LA and, and hope that, you know, you could get signed to maybe Virgin Epit or not Epitaph at that point, even it was like Virgin, it was Geffen, it was Sony, it was, um, uh, who else? Uh, gosh, uh, Interscope, you know, it was, it was capital. It, and the independent label thing was just kind of happening, but it wasn't a go-to that you know that i mean independent labels were definitely there but it wasn't a go-to for you to experience that that success and that opportunity so you definitely were moving to la to make it get signed and and do it and and that's that's probably something that i couldn't imagine people doing that now like i don't imagine something i want to move to la to make it i'm going to move move to new york to make it there they, you, you can do it anywhere now which is which is awesome but at this point you know, that wasn't the case. Yeah, I think that's why there's no scenes anymore is because people aren't gathering in one place at a certain that's a good, time. That's a, good, that's a good point. You know, it's all just fractured and everywhere and splintered and yeah. yeah. Dude, can I go get a glass of water really quick? Of course you is can, that, Joe. Cool? Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, right man. Back. You've got to keep you hydrated. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Oh, you take a sip. I thought I thought as much. You thought, oh. That water looks mighty tasty. I got to get me one of those. Yeah, I never sit down. I almost asked you to hand nice it to pint. me. Hey, man, I almost went, hey, can I have that? Can I have that water? We're not there yet. We'll we'll be there in a couple of years, though, I imagine, with the way everything's uh, moving. Yeah, rapid. but 
it's true what you said. I really, I really think that that has to be the case that there isn't like, and, and I wouldn't know if there's scenes in the sense of like, what's the Berkeley scene? What's the San Francisco scene? I'm sure there are scenes of music, but there definitely was a scene when I was living in Hollywood. There was definitely a group of musicians and all of us had moved there to make it. I had Sean from White Zombie on the show and, and she's got Love a great- her. She's such she a, the best. an amazing woman. And um, she's got a great book out. I'm, I'm in the band and it's like a photo collage, you know, journal of, of all those times. And, you know, it's her with like Al from ministry and Johnny Depp and Gibby from the butthole surfers, yeah. and all these people knocking around. And that for me is just the golden age of alternative culture and really the culture that, you know, raised me. Um, and when I was listening to your, the first wax record, in the lead up to this chat with you, because I'd heard a few of the songs here or there, but I'd never done the album deep dive. So I listened to both. And that first one in particular, something about that sound, I think no effects, the white trash, two heaps and the beam record has a similar one and ribbed as well. It's kind of like in between, never mind before dookie, you know, it's not this polished pop record that those two are. It's this kind of, you know, alternative kind of just raw, um, boundless energy to it and it's just there's this kind of sound this early 90s punk rock indie lo-fi sound that just takes me right back to being a kid and i just get excited thinking about that time whenever i hear music like that it's i don't know how how i could describe it any better than that but there's there's a naivety there and there's like a, a restlessness of spirit and there's just the sense that anything's possible i guess just oh like man you, you youth, just totally just described youth. how we felt when we were making that first record i mean we did it in 10 days you know, it was it was with Daniel Ray, who produced uh, a couple of Ramones records, did writing with them. So we were so excited to work with Daniel. He was he was such an intricate part of our band and what we wanted to do. And he yeah, we loved we loved him and we were such Ramones fans. So it was so amazing to be like working with him. So then that was that was awesome. And then, uh, yeah, that was the way you described it, just a, a time that you really did feel like anything was possible. And it was before all those records came out. Like that first wax record came out in 92. So, you know, Rance's record hadn't come out yet and exploded and green day hadn't, we were playing with all those bands, you know, offspring, all those bands. I remember we did a tour. It was Pennywise offspring and wax and offspring was in the middle. And, uh, and, and like, you know, no one, it was, it was all about Pennywise. And I remember with offspring, they were just, they, you know, they, they weren't, you know what they became it was like oh cool who's this band you know and uh <clears throat> you know we're all selling merch together after the show and i and everyone would just be there hanging out i remember i remember uh at the time that it was the end of the tour and uh and we're all you know at the end of the tour you're always hanging out like oh man give me you know like they're giving us a pennywise t-shirt like oh cool man thank you and then like you know you're throwing a wax t-shirt over to so-and-so and i remember then the offspring stuff was there and I remember um, Dexter had all his stuff out and I was like, oh, cool, man. And he goes, hey, man, do you want a shirt? And he you know, goes to give me the offspring shirt. And in my head, I'm like, you know, I don't I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I want to be cool. But in my head, like there was a moment where I'm like, I don't know if I, I don't know if like I'm the offspring shirt guy, like not that I don't dig the <laughs> band, but like, you know, I'm definitely Pennywise guy, you know, like, but I hadn't really hung with offspring like they they weren't really hanging on that tour. 
if for some reason they were on a, they were in a school bus and it was like breaking down every night and they were just dealing with that. And so we never really got a bond with them. So there was a moment where I'm like, ah, you know what? I don't, I don't know if I'm going to, if I'm going to wear the, the offspring shirt, but I go, yeah, dude, I'll take it. And I grab it. And I go to Dexter. I go, Hey dude, do you want a wax shirt? He goes, yeah, I won't wear it. Dude, <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I just thought I would be polite and not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then he just straight up goes, I go, Hey man, do you, do you want a shirt? He's like, nah, it's cool. I, I probably won't wear it. And I was Brilliant. like, do you know no. what? And in that band there. noodles is the guy noodles. Is I love guy. noodles. He's a sweetheart, man. And Hey, all those guys have always been cool to me, but uh, I always thought that was funny. <laughs> I actually have a video. I actually have a video, a crazy video that, that um, it's in the eighties, man. And it's, it's TSOL. They Jack, called my band we were in this i was in a band called frontline and jack from tsol said tsol got back together and it was a huge deal that they original lineup back together and they were doing the um celebrity theater in um i forgot somewhere in southern california and they had they had tsol cadillac tramps wax and this opening band or not wax uh, my band frontline was my first band Frontline, and then the opening band was this band called Offspring, and I remember we we all come out and uh, we get down there, and it's this huge theater, and it's sold out. And uh, that night we're all hanging around, and we shared a dressing room with Offspring. But they had, that was like they were so early in their career. And then I remember Cadillac Tramps that night; they went on right before TSOL, and they just destroyed. It was like just Gabby at his best. And I remember I've never watching. heard of that band. They worth checking out. Oh my gosh, yeah. Cadillac! Well, Cadillac Tramps, you know you know i don't i would say this cadillac tramps you know well you know it's johnny wickersham who's in social distortion you know and then you have brian and then um uh and then the singer gabby was just this front man that was just legendary you know and, and everyone and this band did a lot of amazing things they like they opened up for pearl jam they like they did a lot of that but they never like they never like broke out huge you know it was like because they had like they kind of had a they had a different look. It was like they kind of looked like social distortion with like more of a country kind of, you know, um cowpunk type of vibe, but just, you know, I mean legendary members, you know, this uh such a such a killer band. And then and then uh like I said, Johnny went on to join social distortion. But yeah, Cadillac Tramps, definitely a band to check out. I'm on it. That reminds me as well. I've got to get on the case to Jack Grisham about trying to get him on this show as well. His oh, yeah. book. Have you read his book? I mean, I'm sure you know all the stories from being no, around. I know, I know, I know. Um, wild. I, he, yeah, I haven't read his book, but I have heard so many of those stories. And Jack would be an excellent guest. I highly recommend that book. I think it's the best punk autobiography book I've read. And the stories really? in it, if they're all true. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Madman. Yeah. So how do you, how do you, you're talking earlier on about being heartbroken when, when wax are dropped. Um, was that just like, as it often is, was there a change in the A&R department who, you know, picked you guys up? They're then gone. There's no one in the label fighting yeah, your corner. I, mean, I think it was more, I think it was just more like we, we made a record that, you know, they didn't know what to do with at the time. You know, no one really heard kind of what we were doing and we were on a label that was, you know, the Smashing Pumpkins were the big band on the label at the time and, you know, Janet Jackson. So it was like, how did you compete with like, that? Yeah. Yeah. Well. They're just like, Hey, this is cool um i you know we don't know what to do with it and then i ultimately ended up 
getting that record back from Virgin. And that's really what started side one dummy records. We, we put that, I put that record out and then started gaining some momentum and we just really, you know, went on the road and we did this and we did that. And then it got, got played on K rock. And then at that time, when you got played on K rock, it was a big, it was a big deal. And ultimately that song California is what really propelled us to, to get signed to Interscope again. And am I right in thinking Scott Weiland played a part? Oh, huge part. And exposing have you heard did you hear that story did i tell I, you that story no you didn't tell me it. i heard it on a podcast you were on and um okay was was fascinated by it because yeah that's two people you wouldn't uh, i wouldn't have linked together but this is even pre-stone tumble pilot days your relationship goes back right yeah i mean when i moved so when i moved to hollywood like i said you had a circle of people that were all hanging out together and i think like i said it's like everyone waiting at an airport. We're all hanging together, but we're also waiting for that flight to move on because everyone wants to make it. And when I met Scott, he was in at the time, this band called Mighty Joe Young, which was Stone Temple Pilots. And they ended up just when they got signed, they changed the name. <clears throat> but Scott, Scott and I hit it off though, because he was in his band. I was in mine and, you know, he was, he was, he was just cool. And it was before he became Scott, you know, Wyland. it was just, he was just Scott, you know, I think he was from like San Diego and he was just like a cool dude, you know, and we would kind of, you know, you'd be on shows together. So you kind of have to hang out together and wait to go on. And I remember uh, wax got signed and right around the time, um, that, uh, that, that stone temple pilots got signed, you know, it was at the same time. And we were actually, um, gonna work with the guy that signed him this guy named tom caroline signed stone temple pilots and he had wanted to do stuff with us but he like did a demo i remember he did a demo deal with us where he's like hey man i want you to go into cherokee studios it was where they replace they did replacements recording i was super stoked to go in that studio he's like hey look you're gonna go in there you'll get a full night and um what i'd love you guys to do is just record two songs you know just so i could hear what you guys are thinking you want to do of course we went in there and decided that we're going to record like eight songs. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to basically like use this studio to like make our first record. And it turned out terrible. Like, cause you know, we had never been in the studio with this particular band and we had a little bit of time. And instead of doing what he asked us to do, we turned in eight songs that were like mediocre. And he was like, okay, cool, man. Thank you. You know, on your way. So we were ultimately when we signed to the label, Scott and I, he had signed, you know, to, with Tom to, to, uh, to Atlantic. And I remember we were both flying home for the holidays and I'll never forget it. We were both at the airport wax is signed to Caroline records and, you know, Virgin and he's signed to Atlantic. And, uh, we sit, we're sitting at the bar before we're both supposed to fly. And, uh, he's talking to, I, he's asking me like, Hey man, how do you feel about, you know, your record deal and you know we're talking shop and i'm like oh man i hope we make the right record i you know we gotta we gotta find the right producer and you know we gotta write the right songs but i feel you know i feel like it could be good you know i feel like it i just i just know we need to get this and that you know i was i was kind of just not apprehensive but i i my confidence wasn't like oh dude we're gonna knock it out of the park i i, I knew we had to do a lot of work but i knew we had a chance at least and then i looked at scott and i said uh you know how do you feel man you know sign to atlantic and all and he just looks at me and he takes a sip off his beer and he goes, we're going to be fucking huge. <laughs> That's all he said. And I remember 
you know, at that moment going, damn, I wish I had that kind of confidence. And uh, then, you know, he went away and went home and I went home and I didn't see him for years. And during the time I didn't see him for years, my band, you know, got signed, got dropped, was putting out our own record. And in the meantime, he just, just, just went for it. And also, you know, unfortunately, you know, went for it, you know, with the drugs. And um, I hadn't seen him in years. And I remember Wax was getting ready to go on tour. And I had, uh, I had like the CDs that we were releasing, you know, on our own. And at this point, I was just like, all right, we're, you know, we're, we're going to go out. We're going to sell them out of the van. And it was before we got picked up by Interscope. And uh, I was at a rehearsal studio. And there was a tour bus out there and the guy running the studio is like, oh yeah, man, you know, Stone Temple's here as well. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And like, I didn't think anything of it. And then I was out in the van, like loading our gear in and kind of like, all right, we're going to get ready to get going here. And I hear, hey, Joe. And I turn around, it's Scott. I'm like, no way. And I remember he was like, come over here. And like, it was, he like got down in between two cars and he was just like, what's up? And I was like, all right, like. I guess we're getting down in between these two cars. And then we just sat there and we just talked. And he's, I was like, man, dude, everything with you guys. Yeah. This is, da, da, da. And then he goes, what do you got there? And I go, oh, this is our record. Like, he's all, let me see it. And I give it to him. And he's like, he's like, this is on your label. And I, and he was so into it. He's like, this is on your label. I go, yeah. And I go, I guess it's a label. It's like, it's just me and like a fax machine you know like that yeah i mean i guess you know and I, he's like looking at it he opens it up and he's like no way this is so killer and I go, yeah man he goes can i have can i have one and i go yeah sure and i give him one he's like can i have a couple and i go all right so i give him like five and he's just so into it and i'm like all right well and he's like all right man i gotta roll but thank you and i'm like okay cool so then i don't think anything about it he goes his way i go mine we hug it out and then um we leave for tour and we're on the road for probably like, I don't know, a month and a half. And at the time, my then girlfriend, you know, there was no cell phones. You know, you just would call home from your, from like a promoter or someone's house. You're like, Oh, Hey dude, can I use your phone? Boom. Call some people. What's up? And, uh, I remember, um, I called back home and she's like, Oh my God, I've been trying to get a hold of you. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, sorry. And she's like, Hey, I don't know if you know this, but Scott Whelan took over K-Rock the other night. I was like, wow, good for him. She's like, no, you don't understand. All he did was play wax. <laughs> what do you mean all he did was play wax? He played wax all night, and this morning they're playing California. What? Yeah, they've been playing California every single, like every two hours they're playing the song. What? And I'm like, wow, all right, something's up. So then I call our attorney, and our attorney was like, dude. You guys are back in the game. Everyone's calling me. I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah. And all, it was just game on. And then we had deals from Lava Records, Atlantic Records again. Even Virgin, who let us go, was like, hey, that's our record. And our attorney was like, no, it's not. Remember, you gave it to Joe. So, yeah, it was a crazy. And it was all because of Scott. He just he just championed us that night. And, and back then, you know, that's like the that's the equivalent of right now, dude. If you know, if someone went on, like if a comic went on uh, Joe Rogan and was like, I'm not, I don't, did, we're not interviewing me. I want to talk about Joseph and his standup. I'm going to play clips. I'm going to do this. Like people, you would blow up. That was the equivalent of being on K-Rock back then. 
Well, you look at the comedians that Joe has featured that are now massive in their own right. People like Tom Segura and Bert Kreischer. You know, Kreischer, those, all those guys. Those guys are very much part of his little clique, aren't Ari they? Ari Shafir. Ari he, Shafir. He's been a real champion of them. And, and for Scott to do that to you at that point, what an, what an amazing and generous, gracious move on changer. his part. It was a game changer. Game changer. Game changer. <laughs> Did you remain in touch with him? You know, towards the later oddly years, enough, oddly that enough, kind of I, it. Yeah, oddly enough, when I I hadn't seen him for years, and he'd done the Velvet Revolver thing and did all of that, and then one night when I just had started stand up, I was probably like maybe a year in, two years. I did a show in Burbank, and I did my spot ten minutes. It was okay, and when I went outside to the lobby, I could feel someone was following me and I turned around it was Scott and he goes what's up I go no way and he goes yeah I came here with my girlfriend and when you were on stage I'm like I told my girlfriend I know that guy and she was like you do and he was just sitting in the crowd lit and it was a little teeny club little like like held like 50 people and he came out and he just said oh man so good to see you and once again he was just totally sweet totally cool we hugged it out took a photo together and you know, he went back in the show, and that was the last time I ever saw him. You've got some amazing stories, Joe. <laughs> amazing stories. Who around at that time, before they were big, to you exuded that star quality out, out of the whole crew? You were saying nobody was oh, really... Oh, like someone you'd see right away and go, oh, they got That it. person's got it. They're going to be going places. They're going to be massive. They're oh. a genius. They're a rock star, whatever. Was there anyone like that that was like, you know, stood out from the crowd even then? Um, I remember the first time that like Rage Against the Machine used to practice in the same space as us, and they they recorded with uh, a producer that we were talking to, and I didn't really know anything about them. And the first time that like I saw like you know Zach De La Rocha and them cruising around, and like and then like watch them, you're like, oh shit, you know, like okay, that was like raw, like they were in the same they you know they weren't raging as a machine I, they hadn't i didn't think they'd finished recording the first record and i was like all right like damn that guy goes for it but i think for me the biggest eye-opening moment i ever had was 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 when wax we were asked uh we got we got booked i want to i forgot what i want to say if our record came out in 90 it came out in october of 92 so this might have been um the summer of 92 what's that first one called what you can see uh no it's called uh what else can we do what else can we do that is the record man i love that Yeah, that's the record so then i think i think for me um i want to say it's either the it's either that summer so like september like like that like july august whatever that whatever that lola palooza was and it was the year you can look it up because one time I looked it up. It was the year that um, Pearl Jam was on it, uh, and um, Pearl Jam was on it, and who else was on it? Um, Sound Soundgarden was on it. Um, I want to say Ministry was on it, and we ended up getting. Uh, but at the time, Soundgarden and Ministry, Soundgarden and uh, Pearl Jam, they weren't like. I mean, obviously they were happening, you know, because like both those records were out. But like there was, they still were like, in my eyes, and this sounds you know, like you got to, I got to preface this with, 
you know, sometimes you think silly shit or whatever, or you're delusional. <laughs> to do this game, you got to be delusional. Um, th- at that moment, I still felt like Pearl Jam and Soundgarden might be in. We could still be in their sights. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like we we're still in that. We're still in the game with them because all those bands got signed at the same time we did. So I was like, okay, you know, like Smashing Pumpkins, you know, uh, and then you had, um, you know, obviously, you know, Pearl Jam, and then you had Soundgarden. So I was like, okay, and I know this is crazy to say, but like, I was like. I was like, okay, cool. Like, we're still like, those are our peers. Those are the, those, that's like our circle. Like, okay, like we could still, we could still be in this game. And here we are at Lollapalooza. Like we're on Lollapalooza. They're on Lollapalooza. Like we're here. Like what's up. But when we get there, they're like, yeah, you guys are over on this like third stage. Chili peppers were headlining that year. And I was like, okay, but we're still in the game. Like we're still, we're still, you know, we might not, you know, we might not be like right. You know, we're in the ballpark, you know, like I really believe that. And I remember we played our show and it was pouring down rain and I forgot where we were like Richmond, Virginia or something. And uh, we do our show and uh, we play out in this field, middle of nowhere. And then way like mile away, you can see the main stage. And I was pissed. I was like, fuck this. Like, why the hell are we over here? We should be on that stage over there because you know, we've, we got the goods. We are the band. Like we should be over there. We should be crushing it over there. And I remember I went over there and it was right as it went that night, it, that day it went like either Pearl Jam, Soundgarden or Soundgarden, Pearl Jam. But <clears throat> I want to say it went Soundgarden first and I stood on the side of the stage and I'm like, all right, I'm going to watch these fucking motherfuckers Soundgarden and I'm arms crossed. I'm standing there with my creepers on and my, my peg Levi's and my slick back hair and my button up. And I'm like, all right, bring it Chris Cornell and fuck. They blew. I, 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 I never unfolded my arms because my jaw was just stuck. And he, he comes out, no shirt, hair everywhere. And I'm watching him and I'm like, and for a moment, I'm like, all right, I got this. I got, and then all of a sudden I just go, I, I don't have that. Like, I just, I don't like, I had, I had a moment where I, at that moment I realized you know what? You're going to have to figure out something else to do with your life because you do not have what this guy has. You do not, your band does not have what these four individuals have. He got, you know, he got one of the greatest drummers in the world. You know, it's like, okay. And then I remember afterwards, literally comes over the barricade, jumps up on a stage right into Pearl Jam. And I watched their set. And Eddie was just Eddie better at that time. He's in the brown shirt and the, and the cutoff, you know, the shorts and the boots and the hair and just, I mean, singing so amazingly. And it was so big. That was the thing I was so blown away with was how big these bands sounded and how tiny wax sounded. And I remember at that moment, I had like a full on realization, like a self, just a, just a, a moment where you look at yourself and, and I had to get real with myself. And I don't, I don't, I didn't tell anybody that, but I knew in my, my head at that moment, I'm not capable of doing what those two guys just did as a front man. Like I'm a good front man, you know, and I can get, I can set it off. And I, I've definitely like, I, I felt confident with who I was, but I knew I wasn't as big and I didn't, I just didn't have the, I don't know this. It was like, it's like a meal, you know, you're like, okay, what are we making today? We're going to, you know, you, you know, one person can make spaghetti sauce. And like my, like if I make spaghetti sauce, I'm like, okay, 
My sister gives me all the ingredients. I call her on the phone. What do I do? She's like, Joey, bring this. Bop, 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 bop. I got all that. I got the tomato paste. I got the fresh tomatoes. I got the garlic. I got the carrot. Okay, a little bit of sugar. I got to put a little salt. I got a little pepper. Okay, and then I'm like, dude, taste this. And you'll be like, mm, okay, that's good. That's Joe. That's good. But then if my sister or my grandmother does this, all of the same ingredients, but they make it, it is Killer. You don't, you're just like, Joe, no, thank you. Push that over there. And that, I don't know, but whatever was in that mix with Eddie and, 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 and with Soundgarden and Chris Cornell and the rest of the players and, you know, all those guys in, uh, in Pearl Jam, all of it together. I had all the ingredients, but there's just something, man. And I, you know, and, it, and some people might say, well, it's his voice. Some people might say it's his stage presence. Some people might say it's the lyrics. I mean, it's, it was just something and I had to, I had to have a real, real solid conversation with myself and realize that, you know, I'm not, I don't have that. And I remember at that moment, I just didn't really know what to do. Cause I was like, okay, well, I am a singer in a band and I, you know, all right, I'm going to go out and do the best I can. But I knew, I knew at that moment I didn't have what those two guys had. And I understood why they were on that main stage and why we were over in the fucking middle of nowhere, <laughs> you know? It's pretty wild. You talk about Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Rage Against the Machine a minute ago as well. <laughs> if those three bands are your peers, it's like, how yeah. can that not be disheartening to look yeah. at them and think like, well, no, I mean, we're good, I, but we ain't that good. Yeah. And you know what, Matt, you nailed it. Because as much as, now when I say peers, I want everyone to understand. When I say peers, I mean, I mean, just, just yeah. you're doing it at the same time. Yeah, right? that's what I mean. We're not friends. I'm not hanging out. We're not like, I'm not, I'm not here to say, oh, I was hanging out with Eddie Vedder. I was hanging out with Chris Cornell. I was hanging out with Matt Cameron. No, I wasn't hanging out with Zach De La Rocha. None of those guys. I'm just saying, peers in the sense, did we all get signed around the same time? Absolutely. Were we, were we all, you know, on uh, like different festivals like Lollapalooza? Yeah, Wax, you know, we did that. Um, uh, but to what, to, to, then have that be what you are comparing yourself and having to go up against. You understand the magnitude of why that's just a, a situation that's not, it's not going to happen. It'd be the equivalent of like back in the day, you're like, you know, you're, you're sitting there and you're like, okay, cool. I'm going to go up against Dylan and, you know, Zeppelin and AC Neil DC. Young like, and yeah, let's yeah, Neil go. Young. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. You're going to go up against Neil Young. You're going to go up against Neil Young and and Bob Dylan, it's now it's not that's not and and, and 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 you know uh, um, it, it's just not going to work. And I think that I think that what ended up happening for for me was I had that awakening at that moment, and I didn't really know what I was going to do with it, but I understood that I I was going to have to figure something else out. Great that you did though, and you weren't self deluded enough, you know, because there's plenty of people I think at that time who did think. Yeah, you know, my band's just as good as these guys and probably did pursue what they were doing and, you know, and so followed heartbreak and disappointment and all the rest of it and probably drug addiction and worse. Well, yeah, because you just get, you just get, you just get disappointed. It's, 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 why isn't it me? Because then you fall into why, why isn't it me? Why isn't it me? Why isn't it me? You know, that, <clears throat> that was always the hardest thing at side one for me working with bands because. You know, Bill Armstrong, my partner, used to always say that to me. He used to say, man, it's it's so hard because all these bands work so hard. You know, this band works so hard and this band works so hard. But, you know, this band, you know, you take a band like Gaslight Anthem. It's like, what? You know, they 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 worked so hard. They But that, that first record was just 
game changer. And it, and it, and, and they, they went from being one band to another, like within a year. And it was insane. And you had other bands on the label that worked so hard and they just, they just couldn't get it. They couldn't have that happen. And I always sympathized with those bands because that was where, that was the world I was in. I was like, I get it, bro. You know, I, I haven't been in that band. I haven't experienced, you know, that success. And I, I always, you know, I think I always felt really, you know, close to those bands that were, you know, not struggling, but that were working so hard and, and maybe it wasn't connecting on the level that they wanted it to connect. You know, one time I had a conversation, I remember with the band and they were so upset about their record, not doing well. And everyone was just, you know, and I was, we we're trying, you know, you're just like, I know, man, it's, and then this, the drummer in the band goes, well, maybe the songs aren't good enough. And everyone just looked at him and I was like, dude, for a drummer, that's, that's, that's a good thing to throw out there. And, and everyone was like, what do you mean the songs are? He's like, I don't know. Maybe the songs aren't good enough. That's what I was going to say to you is, you know, you mentioned um, Side One Dummy there, which of course is a label you co-own with Bill Armstrong. Yeah. Uh, and you've had some amazing success with that. Gogga Bordello, Gaslight Anthem, Flogging Molly. Now you look at those three bands and they've got loads of great songs, but you look at Start Wearing Purple, Gogga Bordello, Drunken Lullabies, Flogging Molly, yeah. 59 Sound, Gaslight Anthem. The thing that I think makes these era-defining, world-conquering bands really when you boil it down is just fucking brilliant songs and totally. it kind of can be as simple as that no it is it's a great record it's a bill armstrong used to always say a band would say what do you what you know what can we do to what can we do to experience this success what can we do to do this and he said make a great record and when you make a great record everything falls into place you know and if it's a great record um just let it do what it's supposed to do Fat Mike, I remember one time said to me, we ha I think we were having success with Flogging Molly and it was our first band that was really starting to just go. And I was talking to Mike and he said, all right, you know what you got to do now? And I said, what? He goes, don't fuck it up. <laughs> oh, what do you mean? He's like, just don't fuck it up. Let it, let it just, let it go. And I was like, okay. You know, and uh, I think, um, yeah, that, that was, having that moment, I think with Pearl Jam and, and, you know, but like you said, if those were the people that I was, you know, comparing myself to, you're just not going to win. It, you know, you're, it, those are two of the biggest names in rock music. And I mean, just two of the legendary vocalists ever. I mean, still to this day, Eddie Vedder, it's, it, his voice only keeps getting better and better and more powerful. It's, you know, it's not going anywhere. A testament to you and your enthusiasm going back to where we started this conversation, your passion for music never dying. So many people in that crossroads moment could have gone like, I hate music. Music's broken my heart. I'm out. Dude, I've had a lot of those moments though. That's like, don't think like, I, I wasn't like, oh boy. Okay. Like, I mean, dude, I can, yeah. You've had them, but you're still here. Yeah. I've definitely had them. I've had moments, man. I've had moments where I, I just don't even want to, I, especially in my music career i just didn't understand i i went i went down all the roads everyone goes down why not me why did they get to do it why do they get to do that why do they get to go on that show why why did so-and-so pick them why what about us I, I guess no one likes us you know and then and then you know you go into that world and if you do it long enough you just realize okay that's not no one when you're in that zone no one comes in and helps you no one comes in you have to you have to you have to kind of at a certain point, wake yourself up and go, all right, I, I got to figure out how I get like, 
okay, I can, I can be in this mood for another day, you know, or I can try to do something today that's a little more positive and get me out of this hole I'm digging right now. But I had plenty of those moments. I mean, you know, it was, uh, even when I started 22 Jacks, it was like, you started that band with, you know, all of these killer players and, you know, we were doing, we were doing, we made the uncle Bob record and we did all that. And then at that point, you know, we were in that boat again, where it was like, you know, are we going to turn into a headliner? And it was like, we could never get over the hurdle of the support band. We, we supported for everyone, but like when it, we just net, we kind of burned ourselves out. So when it was time for us to start headlining, we were, we were burned out. Everyone was just, at least I was burned out. You know, I just got married and I was kind of like, man, what am I doing? You know, I'm on the road. I've been on the road since I was 15 and now I'm 30 something. I gotta, you know, I'm, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. And at that point, that was when I really focused on side one dummy. I was like, you know what? I'm going to focus. We had just signed Flogging Molly. And I remember I was like, you know what? This has a real possibility to do well. But what I really was, what I really realized was I was like, oh my gosh, we just signed a band. And like one of my best friends is in the band, Matt Hensley. And I can't dick this guy around. We got to, I got to be there. So I came off the road and focused on, on side one. Now, was that, very much a case of learning on the job like you, oh, absolutely. your first big signing was them obviously <laughs> they take off fairly quickly are you making it up as you go along and just um, wing it, winging it essentially or are there people there that you look to for mentorship or yeah I mean, there was definitely yeah there was definitely mentorship for us with at the time we worked with a company called ada and there was a guy named andy allen there and he uh he was awesome he really he really walked us through what we needed to do as a company, what we needed to do as two label owners, you know, what to do, what not to do. Um, you know, some of the best advice I ever got was, you know, always pay your bands. That was the, that was the best piece of advice we ever got. I know it sounds like a, it sounds like a simple piece of advice. Like, Oh really? Yeah, you should pay your bands. But you know, unfortunately <clears throat> when you start a business and I've seen it happen to, you know, people and it sucks, you know, like if you don't have the right accounting and if you don't know, you know, Hey, we got to pay this and we can't do that. And okay. Even though we want to spend that money, we got to put this here and no matter what royalties are due, you know, every three months and you got to, you know, you got to pay all these bands and, and you, you know, once you start signing more and more bands, everyone still has to get their, their checks. And, and that was something that was the best advice we ever got pay the bands because if you don't, you know, a, that's not cool and that's lame. And also you can't go anywhere. You know, like I've never had to worry about like, Oh dude, I'm going to Chicago tonight. You know, like I don't ever have to worry about someone rolling up on me and be like, Hey dude, you know, we never got paid for our right. Whoa. You know, like, and I've seen that happen to other people. And I, that's, that was like, I do not want to be a part of that. Like I'd rather go out of business and write checks to everybody <clears throat> for the money they're owned. And that was super important to Bill and I paying all the bands. Um, but we had, you know, we had mentors like I'd say Andy Allen, ADA um, for a little while, Tom Wally, who ran Interscope. He was always someone we kind of picked his brain, but then, you know, people like fat Mike, you know, fat Mike and Aaron, they definitely, you know, like I remember when we, when we started having to get to that point where you're like going to hire someone to work there, you know, we asked fat Mike, like, how does that go about? And, you know, it was generally Aaron that would kind of walk us through that or, uh, but they were super helpful. Aaron and Aaron and Mike were definitely helpful. We'd always ask them for just like, how do you do, you know, how do you do, uh, accounting, you know, or it would be like, uh, you know, who do you use in Europe to distribute? And then, you know, how do you, how do you do this? And they, they always, they always were super cool. They always gave us good advice. Super helpful. 
Yeah, there were some amazing labels around from the mid nineties to the mid noughties starting out and, and really kind of again soundtrack in my life, whether it was the obvious ones like Epitaph and Fat or even like Hellcat and Nitro and whatever what's the Vandals one? Was it Kung Fu? Uh Vandals was Kung Fu Records. Yeah. And, and Joe Scalani's label. Obviously side one yourself. And yep. like all of that stuff for me is like that's my childhood and, and adolescence in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. Were albums still selling in a big way when Side One started? The internet streaming impact already yep. began to make Definitely. a dent. No, you know what? When we started, it was still CDs. It was still CDs. It was. It was still CD. I remember when. Uh, I remember like think you know they would do sound scan every week, and I remember like bands like I remember when we first started getting Flog and Molly on the on the radio, <clears throat> and we started getting Flog and Molly. Um, to different shows or to like like they'd have to go do a radio show and then the next week you could pull how many records they sold in that market and it's crazy to think i remember there there would be like they were doing this thing in seattle and it was like they they started getting airplay and it went from like it was like 100 records a week to 200 records a week to 300 to 400 to 500 600 records a week 600 out of a market people buying the actual cd it was insane and uh you know we were really lucky to experience that and then obviously as as streaming started coming in you just saw the sales slowly slowly go down but in our in our case too you know there was a few years there where we we actually you know benefited from streaming because then we started getting a lot of like number one records because you didn't need to sell you know a hundred thousand records to, or you know or back in the day it was like you know it could be five hundred thousand the first week six hundred thousand seven hundred thousand it could be whatever all of a sudden you know when it started going down you know we started selling you know you'd sell fifty thousand records in a week and you'd have like a top 10 record which was really cool yeah, it helps push, doesn't it? The yeah. product, it helps the band be able to say, like, this is what we've done, this is what yeah, we've yeah. got. It was that was cool to experience in that. And then, you know, as it as it started going, you know, in the other direction, then you gotta start. And you know, and that was when side ones, you know, we had our we had our, you know, ultimately, you know, you have to like just think about like, okay, what are we doing here? What do you, you know, how are you gonna keep moving forward? You know, you wanna take care of the bands, you wanna take care of everyone that's there. And you know, it was it was tough. It was tough because there was a lot of there was I think everyone was trying to figure it out at the same time. And Pup is probably one of your most recent success stories, right? What a great band they are. Great band. I mean, that, that, uh, that song Reservoir was like, that was huge for them. And it was great to be a part of that whole, that first record, you know, and they've gone on to, you know, do amazing things. And Big D, obviously Big still, D. still doing right it. Now. Yeah, they're over what? your way right now. I just saw just saw Davey. I'm going to get him on the show uh, when when he's home, which should be That's in the next great. day or so, literally. Um, dude, there's so much more I want to talk to you about, but <laughs> we're going to have to do a part two, man. We're going to have to do a part two because I don't want to keep you for too long now. I want to just end with a quick little story that um, Greg from the Bouncing Souls told me when he was on the show, which okay. I which I love, and it's just how much you really pushed for that Lean on Sheena cover to yeah. take place because i was telling greg that's my favorite soul song i didn't even know it was a cover he told me the whole story and he's like yeah basically the only reason we did it is because joe was just like you got to do lean on sheena man and kind of pushed it through and again i just love that knowing you at this point when greg had told me the story i think we had met and i was like that's just such another cool example of this guy's passion and enthusiasm for for the bands and the songs and the music that he loves yeah i mean i loved you know why you know the boss tones were one of the first bands i ever managed you know and i i loved i loved the boss tones so when uh joe ended up doing his own record 
And he was, it was the Boston's were on a break, and Joe Gittleman, the bass player, was doing his own thing. He had that song lean on Sheena. And I was, I just said, wow, man, that's such a good song. And at the time, Ted Hutt was going to be producing, producing uh, The Souls. I think he even produced, I think he produced that track, Ted Hutt. And I, I don't know how Greg and I got even on, I don't even know how it came about, but I, I just thought it would be such a great song for them to do. And I just, I just, you know, hit him up and, and, and just was like, you should, you guys should do this. And, you know, I mean, Greg probably has a way better version than I have of it, but yeah, I, I totally, it's funny. Cause I remember a while ago, I heard that I was at a show and they did that. And I was like, Oh wow, man. Like just to hear that, that song resonates with their fans. So good. You know, it's and my favorite it. soul song. Hands down. I love it. Yeah. Absolutely. For me, love it. for me, the souls, it would be gone. Uh, I love hopeless romantic. I love, um, What's another song I love of theirs? Uh, uh, Hopeless Romantic. And then uh, 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 Driving Down the Radio, Listen to My Radio, Trying to Find some, Something to Believe In. What's that song? Uh, I don't know the title. Oh, my God. It's coming through my head right now. I don't know. Yeah. So the Bouncing Souls are the only band that when I watch them play, I always go, I want to be in a band again. Like, they just, I don't know. That, and when I listen to them, I'm like, I want to be in a band. Like. Them and the Riverboat Gamblers, that first record Riverboat Gamblers put out, that was, I love that record. Well, I saw you doing some karaoke on the boat. There's always the punk rock karaoke yeah. sessions yep. you can jump on. Would you ever go back to music or are you totally stoked on comedy? Because you've obviously been doing that a, a good while now. It looks like it's going incredibly well for you. And I do want to do a part two with you where we just talk only about, you know, the stand-up career and, and that segue because I love as I said from from the jump at the start of this conversation, I love that you have just continued to you know evolve as a human and as a creative and and to have done the things you've done with your comedy. Like, would you ever go back to music, or is comedy completely where it's at for you now? Or never I mean, say I, never, or what's up? Yeah, it's never say never. I, I you know I don't wake up in the morning though and go, oh man, I wish I could be in a band again. I don't really I don't really do that. I sometimes I have different moments where I I'd want to be in a band the night you know i i don't know i just love stand-up so much it really fulfills and it scratches that itch that i have to be on stage and i and i love it and i love the i love the whole creative aspect of it i love how it all comes together and yeah i i don't i don't know i just uh music i mean i i i mean i don't know i just feel like i also feel like with music you, you know, you have to have a vibe and yeah, it, it, it also has to be with other people and their energy and your energy have to make sense. And a lot of variables, right? Yeah. And also visually, I want it to be cool. Whereas I feel like with stand up, you know, I feel, I feel comfortable doing it. I feel good doing it. I, I love the creative aspect of it. So I, I don't know. I don't ever, I don't ever really miss playing music because I'm doing stand-up so much, so it scratches that itch. If I wasn't doing stand-up, I might be like, well, I want to figure out how to get back on stage. But I just, I love, I love doing stand-up and it, it really fulfills that need that I love being on stage and traveling and touring because it gives me all of those, all of those things that I want. Being on the road, uh, doing shows, traveling, uh, making art, working on different things, seeing the response. I mean, the only thing missing is like, and it hasn't happened yet. No one's starting like a circle pit while I'm doing stand up. <laughs> hey, there's but still time. Someday. There's That's still time. <laughs> That's a goal. Yeah, it's cool. First I think because you get to, you know, 
write the material, direct the material, perform the material. There's so much pressure in one hand, but also reward on the other from just you, the individual. It's all, you know, it's one man show. It's the it Joe really show. It really is. And like, and you do carry a lot of the weight. And if it goes well, it's high fives for you. If it doesn't go well, it's you blaming yourself. Why did, you know, and that's, you know, you don't have a drummer to blame it on. You don't have another band member to say, oh gosh, that was your fault. It's all about you going, wow. All right. Where did I mess up there? And I think that's where in stand up, that's the hardest part because comics are just so hard on themselves. You'll watch a comic and, and he'll get off stage and you'll be like, wow. Uh, you'll think he hit it out. You'll go, he, he hit it out of the park. But when he gets off stage, he's like, oh man, I never hit that tag. I wish I would have done that bit differently. Why did I open with that? I should have closed with that. You know what I closed with? Is it really with the closer? Oh my God, I did old material. And you're like, as a, you know, if you're, if like for me, I can feel it when I'm watching your comic because, you know, that's all I've done for the last 15 years. But for like just a regular person in the audience, they don't even, they don't even see it. You know, they're like, he killed it, you know, but there's so much going on in, in your head and with what you're doing to get it out there. And, and I think comics are just so hard on themselves. Whereas if you're in a band, you can kind of like, ah, that wasn't on me. That's on the bass player. And especially when someone reviews you as a comedian, they review you. You know, they do not hold back. When you're in a band, they can be like, you know, duh, 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 and you can get by. Like, dude, he never say anything about the singer. He was talking about the rhythm section, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's on my list, man. It's on my list. I've dabbled in it and, and done a couple of shows, but it's definitely something uh, I would really like to evolve and explore, you know, down the road for myself. And I guess for yourself, Joe, in closing, um, do you feel a deep sense of gratitude for where you're at in life now and everything you've gotten to see and experience and do? Because the book is full, man, of, of amazing moments and achievements and connections and experiences and, and you must you know just personally as well having you know two kids that are grown up and out there in the world as adults being creatives themselves now must feel pretty good sitting where you are to look back on everything and you know drink it all in and look yeah. ahead to what's still to come yeah i mean i i just i'm so i feel so it, the word gets thrown around a lot but the word i'm grateful um also i feel so blessed because i was just a kid that you know picked up a ramones record and didn't even know that they you know weren't really brothers i thought i was like oh wow like you know i was just this music spoke to me and if it hadn't i wouldn't be here today but also i i just feel so fortunate that i've had so many great people around me the whole entire time i mean everyone that i ever got to work with at side one dummy the, the bands were so great you know my partner bill armstrong the best you know he's, we still talk every day you know not every day but you know at least once a week um the people that worked at side one just everyone was was stellar just killer people and and believed in the bands and the music and i just felt that i was a part of something that was so much bigger than anything i ever anticipated and so much bigger than what 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 i was about and i just loved being a part of that whole team and and i just feel grateful that i was there it's like it, sometimes i look back and i'm like oh my god everything that's happened it just it's almost like it's almost like a movie and then you're like wow and i and i i got to be in this little movie and i'm just i'm just super super grateful because um if I wouldn't have 
been able to be in that community of music that I loved and that punk rock in the eighties, it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here today. And, and I'm so grateful that I went down that road because, you know, I could have, I could have gone into something else. And I don't, you know, I, I don't think I'd be sitting here telling you if I, yeah, I fell in love with accounting and I just loved, <laughs> I loved putting together numbers and breaking it all down. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe people have that passion for it, but I, I feel like, man, the ride that I've been on unbelievable. It's, it, it seems, it seems fake at times. It seems sometimes like it's not even real. Well, I'm biased, but I, I would say punk as a style of music and as a lifestyle has given more to the world and giving more, given more people lives and opportunities and relationships and meaningful experiences than any other style of music. Like, I don't know if there's as many people out there in the world that can be like, yeah, man, hip hop changed it all for me or country, you know, and all these styles of music are amazing and I love all types of music, but I really feel like there's something that, comes from that scene that leads to so much outside of music beyond music um but it really was that time and that place and that music that ignited so much and so many yeah i mean i think though but i would say though that i think for me for you and i you know punk rock is that but i and we have we have our love of it and and we're bonded by the bands and the lifestyle and it, it and it also bleeds over into the way you live your life and um and i but i do believe though with like you know, whether it is hip hop or country music or, or jazz or classical, I, I think though, the thread though, that everyone and all of that would share is that music does have the power to change their lives and, and, and whatever it is you decide to do with that, you know, you and I are deciding to do this conversation, but I guarantee you, you know, you sit down with some dudes that were rolling in the eighties that were, you know, when hip hop came out, when it's, you know, whether it was in New York or Miami or, you know, California, they could, you know, all the stuff that came out of, you know, South Central, they just be like, yo, this is like to them, that's their clash. That's their Ramones. And they would just be like going as deep as you and I, but the common thread that if we had all those people, the classical, the hip hop, the guy, the, uh, the country guy, we would all be able to say one, we think we'd all agree on is damn music changed my life. That's the one, that's the thread right there. Like that's the, that's the common connection between everyone that would be sitting around in that circle. I do believe that because, because you can meet people that I could tell them how much I love, uh, you know, whether it was like, Oh my God, I loved, I, 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 the clash was my band or the Ramones. And then you sit across from a guy and he could tell you, Oh my God, Slayer is my band. And you're like, and even though I'm not a Slayer fan, him and I are still just as passionate. And he could tell me a crazy story about how he, you know, drove seven hours and slept on a floor and, and snuck around the back and got in a fight with a security guard. And I could have the same story, but just seeing another band. And, and I think that's the, that's the thing that all it falls underneath is just the common thread and love of music that all, all people have that are, that are into it, you know, because there's plenty of people though, that don't have that, that the music's not important to them. They're like, I don't know. I, you know, like, have you ever been in someone's car or you go to their house? You're like, dude, so like, what do you listen to? They have, they don't have an album or they don't have, they're like, you go, Hey, put some music on. They're like, Oh wow. Like I don't really have you. I don't really stream Spotify. And you're like, what? Or you're like, you know, you know, you get in someone's car and you're like, what do you want to listen to? And, they, and they're like, Oh, I don't know. Like back in the day, you know, they don't have a, you know, you're like, what, what cassettes you got? I don't have any. You're like, that was like a red flag. You know, if someone, if someone didn't have like a band, they love, even if it was a band, they like, 
even if it was a band that you like if they were like oh dude let me put on some jovi right now you're like oh god this guy <laughs> likes bon jovi you know but at least like, he loves it yeah yeah he loves it and and what i love about him is he'll be like hey dude if you don't like it then get the fuck out and you don't have, i'm not giving you a ride and you'd be like okay and then you might you'd be like all right dude i'm not going to talk about jovi anymore but I'm just saying, and he'd be like, okay, because dude, fucking, you don't even understand the Joves is the jam. And you're like, okay. And then, but, but what I, what I would love is that person saying that to me, you know, it's just like my son, he plays all this music to me and, uh, you know, and I'm not going to try to pretend that I'm like, oh yeah, I love this EDM beat that you've, you know, been playing and, and, you know, but like he, his passion about how much he loves it. And he knows everything about, oh, dude, this guy is out of Chicago. And like, no one knows what he looks like. He's never done an interview. And they're not even sure he really is alive. And then like, and supposedly he hooked up with this, this, this other, you know, uh, producer out of New York. And then like, they like blended themselves together. Now they're like one person. So it's like, it's you know, you're, and you're just like, he knows everything about it. And, and, and he's so into it where it was recorded, how it was recorded. Boom, 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 boom. And you're like, okay. Like. I might not love the jam, but what I am digging right now and what I am feeling is how passionate and how much you love this. That to me is what everyone shares that loves music. And then there's the people that don't love music. That always trips me out when you meet someone, they're like, yeah, I never was really into music. <laughs> You're like, wow. That's like, yeah, I never was really into air. I never really, I don't know. I'm not a real breather guy. I'm just kind of <laughs> like, I don't know. I could take air and leave it. I don't know. You know, I don't know. Like to me, music it, it you know it 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 had it and, and not, maybe not now because i listen to so much different stuff like now i find myself i just nerd out on like jazz or like i'm really into like hawaiian music and i'm like i put that on i'm like uh, you know but is there's still something i'm always looking for you know like oh okay i'll check that out um but it always trips me out when someone doesn't have like a love for music and even if they're, even if it's just a bunch of bad songs, I'm okay with that. As long as they love it. Yeah, yeah. that's it. That's it. Well, that was what struck me about you from the get-go, man, is your passion for it. And uh, this has been awesome. And I'm, I'm pleased Thank that you we, for we got me. to sit down and do it, man. It was worth the wait. And I'm, I'm promising you we're going to do a part two in the not-too-distant future. Well, because that, that, that segue from music to stand-up fascinates me. Uh, and the evolution of the act fascinates me. Um, and yeah, you are just an inspiration to me, dude. I want you to know that I look at your life and your career and what you've done and what you continue to do and how you carry yourself. And I just, I'm really inspired by people like you and people like you inspire me to continue to do what I do. And you push me forward to keep wanting to do more and do Matt, better. Matt, Matt, it goes both ways. I, you, your energy is amazing. Ever since I met you out there on the flag and Molly cruise amazing and dude i follow everything that you're doing i mean you've had so many great guests on here you're a great interviewer it goes both ways you're a gentleman thanks ah, joseph you enjoy you the rest of your day and you're a gentleman and you sound like a gentleman <laughs> even with a cold i'll take yeah. it i mean i just your voice it's soothing ah. i loved your post too about uh johnny Lydon and uh and his wife that was that was that was nice that you posted that yeah, such what a, a what a beautiful a, love story for for all time. What a love story! What a love story! And what a man! Have you ever met him? I've never met him. I know Jonesy pretty well. 
Yeah, yeah, you used to be on the radio station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's he's actually. I would consider Jonesy like a friend. Like you know, like we don't hang out, but when like when we when we did work at Indy together, we uh, we definitely shared a few meals together. And I just, I just, I just loved uh, Steve Jones's um, just honesty. He was Mm. just, yeah, such a such a unique dude. And yeah, I was you know a huge Pistols fan growing up. So I came, you know, it's funny. I'd ran into him throughout my life on different stages. And I remember as a little punker, I ran into him once at the, I want to say at the Palladium, he was there in LA. And I was like, no way. And I was like, no way, Steve Jones. And I had a few beers in me and he's just kind of standing there. And I, and I had, you know, I said something stupid, like, man, if it wasn't for you, you know, man, you changed my life. And he goes, I know. Cause I know. Amazing. Yeah. yeah he's got that swagger. And he's actually talking about, you know, things that people share with the world he is one of my favorite people he's not as active at the moment as he used to be but he's one of my favorite people to follow on instagram because when he does pipe up it always puts oh. a smile on my face wherever he's writing and sharing yeah. it's usually some hilarious video and yeah, yeah he's he plays his he's, guitar i love it hey, what <laughs> about did you see what's the thing called is it gen sex yeah 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 so they've got so a couple of dates coming about? up so that is billy idol and yep. tony james from Generation X and Paul Cook and Jonesy from Sex Pistols, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a couple of UK dates. They're doing a couple, yeah. I mean, but are they, is that just sold out immediately? Yeah. Yes. Uh, there's kind of. I know a guy who worked with Paul, so I'm going to try my luck at getting in the back door. But oh. there's also there's also this uh, all day event in July here in the UK. I saw that. Yeah. Iggy Pop, Blondie, Buzzcock, Stiff Little Fingers, uh, and Generation Sex on that. So I'll definitely be wow. at that as well. Yeah, man. Wow. Yeah, I want to see that. I, I mean, I've never even seen Steve Jones in any band perform live oh, really? on stage ever. I've never seen him play guitar other than on Instagram. So yeah, that's the draw for me, Jonesy. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on the show, Joe. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. And are you going to be on the cruise this year? Will I, will I see you? No, on I the... won't be on the cruise this year. Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully I get back out there next year. Well, hopefully next time I'm in Los Angeles and I'm there for a little longer, we'll link up. Um, Come visit on, me, bro. On the West Coast. I'd love to see I'll you. take you surfing. Please do. It'll be more like bodyboarding for me. Yeah. But no, I'll give, I'll it, I'll give it a go. Up. You'll get me standing? Yeah. I'll get you standing. All right. Challenge accepted, my friend. It's on. Let's do it. Let's do it. Cheers, Joe. All right. Later, brother. <laughs> Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.